what is it, if I can ask this question, what, what is it like to be a person of faith? Have you ever been asked that question? By someone who's, you know, wondering what it's like, as someone who's uh, inquiring as to the, the reason maybe for your faith. What, what's, it, what's it like to be a person of faith? Or, or this question, what, what is it like to be a Christian? Or phrased another way, why? Why are you? Why are you a Christian? Why are you a person of faith? Why, why do you go to church on Sunday? Why, why do you read the Bible? Why do you pray? Why, why do you do all of these things that seem so abnormal to the world? Why, why do you do these things? Aren't you, aren't you missing out on so many things? Aren't, aren't you missing out on what the world has to offer? Have you ever been asked those questions? Had that discussion with someone? I would hope that that these kind of in- inquiries, these kind of questions, I-, I would hope that you are faced with them uh, from time to time. That you have people wondering why you are the way that you are. Why, why do you act the way that you do? Why do you act differently than your coworkers? Why do you act differently than your neighbors? Why do you act differently than the people that are your friends? Why are you different than all of them? Now, if those questions are never raised simply because uh, they don't ask them, that's one thing. But if those questions are never raised because you are not in any way acting differently than them, then there's a difference there, right? There's a different thought process and there's some different conversations that should be had. Because we as Christians should be different than the world around us. And we should be known by the way that we, we treat other people, by, by the love that we have for the world around us, by our refusal to use word, certain words or, or, or certain uh, topics that are, are talked about, or, or refusal to be a part of, uh, of certain actions. That people have an understanding that we don't do those things because we follow a God who created the world and has called us to a higher standing than the world around us. Does that, does that mean we, we then say to our, our neighbors, our friends, and, or those co-workers around us, we well, you know what, I, I don't do those things because I just am really uh, so much better than you. I have a call, higher calling than, than you. Um, sorry, but that's just the truth. I'm a Christian. Is that, is that our response? That should be so far from our response. Because the reality is what? The reality is that we have all fallen short. We have all sinned. And so that calling that we have is based on what Christ has done for us. That Christ is so amazing. That God loves us so much. So what is it like to be a person of faith? who lives their life faithful to the God who created them. What's the answer there? What, what's the easy answer? You know, someone asked that question, what's the real easy answer? Oh, it's great. It's, it's awesome. It's the best. It really is. It's, it's the best. Nothing bad ever happens because I'm a Christian. 
just I just walk on cloud nine all day, every day. In fact, I sleep there most nights. It's just, it's just amazing, right? Well, in, in part that that's true, right? That, that is true because we have this joy. We have this contentment. We have this hope that we would never have if we didn't have a relationship with God. But that's not the entire reality of life, right? As much as we continue to have that, that hope, that, that joy, that contentment, the reality of life is that there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be peaks. There's going to be valleys. There's going to be hiccups. There's going to be hard things. There's going to be really smooth times when we're challenged with apathy, when we're challenged with being far too relaxed. Well, there's going to be times when things are difficult and we're, we're challenged with going through those really hard times and holding on to faith. So the answer to that is far more deep, the far more profound than just to say, oh yeah, it's great. And I, and I hope that we don't answer uh, when the questions come like that about our faith, that we don't answer with this kind of just smooth answer. That we dig a little deeper and give someone an actual profound answer that gives them something to chew on. And I hope we do that, because that means we would have thought about it ourselves. What is it like to be a person of faith? What does it mean to you? What does it mean for your life? What does it mean that you, you choose, that you do, that you spend your time doing? You're, you know that, that free time, you get, you get done work, you go home, and the kids are finally in bed, or grandkids are no longer there, or anything else, and you finally have that, you know, that two-hour block in the day where you're just saying, okay, I got nothing. What do you do then? Do you find it important to pray or to, to read your Bible? Do, do, we, do we connect with God? Do we, do we spend even the busy times connected to this God who, who loves us and wants us and desires for us? Or, or are we so distracted by, by so many other things that, that we kind of get caught up in them and it snowballs and all of a sudden we've gone a week without even praying or we've gone a month without reading God's Word? We have to be able to focus on, on what's important. That we're living and responding in faith. And have that as our focus so when these questions come, what's it like to be a Christian? What's it like to be a person of faith? What does that mean to you? That it's not just something we're saying to appease them and give them an answer, but it's something that is from the heart that we say, this is what it is to me to be faithful. This is what it means to me. This is what my life is like. That I make mistakes. And I know that there's a God who loves me. And I, and I repent of those things and he forgives me that his son came and he died on a cross for me. So even though I was sinful, I, 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 can, I can be forgiven that I can be faithful to him. We're still going to have to battle through temptation. We're still going to have to battle through doubt and darkness and enemies. We're going to have to battle through times of sadness and loss and despair. We're going to have to really cling to faith in moments of peace. And as I mentioned before, when, when apathy threatens to, to overtake us, because you look around our society now that we live in this, this Christian nation, we live in this Christian nation, this Christian society that has been so peaceful for so long, in relative peace for so long, that those who consider themselves Christians know nothing of what it is to be a Christian. Because it's just in name. 
we as a church have to battle through those things as individuals to hold on to faith, faithful responses, choosing to pray, choosing to, to read, choosing to, to outreach in our communities, to, to outreach with our, our friends and our, and our co-workers, choosing to be different than the world, continuing to choose faith, even when the world around us seems to be calling us in another direction. Because being faithful, being a faithful person, is truly great. And I know I kind of started the conversation by, by giving a kind of a flippant answer about, oh, it's so great, it's so wonderful. But being a faithful person truly is great, isn't it? I mean, it truly is a wonder to be able to be at peace with God. That no matter what happens in life, no matter the highs or the lows, that we know that we have peace with our God, with our Creator. That we can have the hope and joy and contentment to get through all of those things. That we don't have to wonder about our eternity. Because we know that what God has said, we know the calling that He's given us. We know the eternity that we have waiting for us. And, and a wife of faith isn't a perfectly smooth wife. That's not... That's not what we're saying. But it is one of peace with God. And it is of hope and contentment. And that is our calling. And ultimately, our life of faith then has to be one in which we continually choose God in all that we do. And have that as the goal. To use the energy that we have to be used in service of Him. In both the good and the hard times. Not, not just when things are, are, are perfect. And not just when, you know, if I take care of this, then I'll really be able to serve God. But in what we're doing now and all the activities that we have now. Sometimes I think we want to divide the activities of the church from the activities of life. Because if we come to games night, that's a church activity. But if I have something at my house where I invite my friends, that's my life activity. Is there a divide between those two things? Does the church only meet if it meets here at this building? Are we a part of the church only when we walk through those doors? So that the rest of the time is kind of this divided life that we can do whatever we want. Even if we're trying to do the best we can. Is there a divide between those two things? I'm only going to give you like one second to think about that because the, the reality is there cannot be. Is there, is there a, a temptation for there to be? Well, yeah, I mean, there is a real temptation for there to be, to have a divided life, to have this, this life that when we walk through these doors, it's one thing and, and elsewhere it is other. And, and obviously there is temptation and there is times when we falter and fail. But the goal is always to have none of that, to have no divide there. To understand what life is like and to know that the only way to combat that, the only way to combat that darkness is to be light, to be salt, as God has called us to be. And to keep on battling, to, to never give up doing good. You know, you hear that phrase in Scripture, never give up doing good or, or keep running the race or press on toward the goal. All of these things, you know, to spur us on towards a, a full life of faithfulness. And not get caught up 
in the world and also to not get caught up in the emotional highs and lows of life. I, I know that, that our emotions often dictate how we're feeling in a day. And there are days when you wake up and it's just, well, we use the phrase, you know, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Well, there are days where we just kind of don't have the energy or we're kind of grouchy and, and, and we want to allow those emotions to, to dictate our life. And in some ways, you know, sometimes that happens. But they shouldn't dictate our faith. They shouldn't dictate our faith. Our, our faith is, it's not emotionless, but it's not dictated by emotion. Because if we're having a bad day, do we still have faith? If we're kind of grouchy in a certain day, should we still be acting according to the faith that we have in God, according to the call that God has given us? Or does that give us permission to act differently when we're not as patient as we should be or, or we don't really feel like being kind, don't really feel like being gentle to when you're trying to explain something to someone for the 500th time and you're losing patience. Does that, does that mean, well, it's okay then not to act like that because I, I've, I'm kind of grouchy today. Well, it's, you know, we got to go through all of life and there's going to be mixed emotions. Understanding that there's going to be highs, there's going to be lows, there's going to be good, there's going to be bad, but that doesn't change faith. Faith is drawing near to God. Faith is following God. And so even in the, the dark times, even when, when things are bad, we still have to be faithful. Certain uh, characters in Scripture, and, and I'm just going to mention a few, we're not going to look at all their stories, but uh, you look at Abraham, you look at Gideon, you look at Noah. And, and all of them were asked to be people of faith and to have faith to trust in God. How many of them were asked to have faith at moments where it was really profoundly easy? Abraham, I want you to take your son, go up to the mountain and sacrifice him. Easy? Or a difficult time to, to be faithful to God? Well, that's a difficult ask, right? He asked them for his son, his, the son of promise. Gideon, you know, Gideon is, is hiding, right? He's hiding from his enemies. And God comes and says, I want you to lead this army. And I'm going to take a few away and take a few, and I want you to go. Easy ask or difficult? Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. And you've maybe never seen rain to this extent. You may have never even seen rain. You may have never seen any of this. But I want you to build this boat in anticipation of me flooding the world. And, and it's going to sound crazy to everyone you tell it to. But I want you to build this huge monstrosity of a boat in preparation. Easy or difficult? Well, some of you that are quite handy are thinking, well, I could maybe get that done. And I'm thinking, there's no way that I could ever have done that. And yet, that's what God asks. And and how did Noah do it? Like, how, how did he? And yet he did. All of these guys, and, and not just these guys, but in other stories, they're asked to have faith. And the highs and lows of it didn't matter. It was, it was faith. Live for God. I want to turn it to 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 12, it says this I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength. When he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, 
along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I want us to understand this, that this life of faith that we live should lead us to, to this, to this, this kind of thinking. That when we understand life, the life of faith that we have, that even when we go through the highs and lows, that we can say, I thank Christ. You know, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength. That even no matter how life goes, I am able to give thanks to God for the strength that he provides, for the life that he's provided, for the gift of grace that he has provided, that allows me to know that this physical life that I'm living in, this physical life that is important, is not the end of all things. But the spiritual acts that I do, how I respond to the physical, how, how I respond in the world that we live in, am I faithful and I want to give thanks. I, I, I want to give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. I, I, I want you to think about your life a little bit. Hardship, turmoil, temptation, difficulty, um, temptation of maybe uh, of being apathetic a little bit. Uh, all of those times. What was it like? What is it like? What do we do in those moments? Do we internalize them and say, you know what, I, I am going to do this. I have this. I want to do this. I have the strength. I have the power. I have all of these things. Or do we turn them to God and give thanks to God for giving us strength to go through them? Do we give them to God and say, you know, Lord, I only can do this with you? I want to, I want to give you thanks for saving me so that I can deal with whatever this is and know that my eternity is there beyond the shadow of a doubt. Do we give thanks to Christ? Do we give thanks to God in those moments? Is it difficult sometimes to do so? If we're being honest, is it difficult sometimes to do so? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it sometimes is. But that's why we're thinking about it and talking about it now, so that we, we recognize what Christ has done. We recognize that God has not abandoned us. We recognize that God has not left us. But that we are being refined. That God wants us to draw closer to him, that we can give thanks to him. In fact, it says this in that, in that passage we read in 1 Timothy, uh, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. What does Paul recognize here? That, yeah, he's gone through a lot of stuff. He talks about that some of the stuff that he's gone through, how he's acted, and yet he says, I, I want to give thanks to our God that he considered me trustworthy to be in his service. Are we in service of the Lord? Are, are you in service of the Lord? Is that your wife? I paused last time for you to shake your head. No, I'm pausing now for you to shake your head. Yes. 
Are you in service of the Lord? Yeah, we are. That, that's the call for us. And so when we look at this, when we look at the difficulties of life, is it an opportunity to be faithful? It truly is. And, and as much as we don't really enjoy, in a sense of emotion, or, or even the physical pain sometimes of going through difficulty, there is an opportunity to choose to be faithful and to be of service to Him. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the great cloud of witnesses. We talked about this idea that, that there are those that we can lean upon, that we see from Scripture. You can probably think from your wife, having seen someone go through this great, profound difficulty in their life and been amazed, been amazed at how they chose faith, that their love for God. Even those that are, that are sick or near death who have said, I will love the Lord my God until the end. And it is truly, isn't it? It's truly profound for us. Because we get to see them living out this. This love for God, this thankfulness to God that he considered them trustworthy. Appointing them to his service and that they would do it through all the hardship. Through all the difficulty, even unto death, just as Christ did. So then for us, as we internalize this, for us, as we see the difficulty even within ourselves, do we not want the same opportunity to live for Him, to be of service to Him, to be faithful to Him, so that we too then can turn to others and say, this is me, this is my calling, this is my life in hopes that it will have in them a profound effect as others have had on us. So that when they go through difficulty, they can lean on, on that experience. They can lean on that great cloud of witnesses around them. Just as we do so often, draw on, on the faithfulness of others to encourage us and to strengthen us. We are called in this life to be of service to him. We have to live like that. We have to, we have to choose that. You know, Richard talked earlier about this understanding of, of what we were, this understanding of, of knowing that we are no longer that, that we've gotten past that, that, that Christ has, has really saved us from that, but, but also being able to recognize what we were. In this passage, it says, it says he was acting in ignorance and unbelief, and he did all of those things as a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, and yet he did so in, in ignorance. This is what we were, right? This is what we were. Not, not any longer, but this is what we, we were. I hope we recognize it. I, I know we, we forget what is past and we strive to, to, for what is ahead. But this understanding of, of what we were, I, I think allows us, hopefully we don't forget that, because I think it allows us a greater understanding of just how amazing the cross is and how amazing grace is. When we truly recognize the, the, the depths of what we were to now go from darkness to light. And it's profound. 
what we were, acting in ignorance. And here he talks about himself being a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. I was shown mercy. I acted in ignorance and unbelief. So what we were was all of those things, all of us. But we also were what? We were shown mercy. And when we understand that, when we understand what we were to what we are, what we are now, I hope we understand what that means for life. What, what does this mean to you? You know, look at the three stages here, or the two stages at least. The acting in ignorance and unbelief to being shown mercy. And as we talk about, you know, the being in service of him, what does that mean to you? We can have um, a lot of time to study on classes. We can have a lot of uh, lessons on, on things like this. But until we as individuals desire to be of service to him, until we desire to think through these things on our own and make decisions of being faithful to him, we will not have the answer to this. Now, we can be taught by other people who are faithful. We can rely on them. We can go to them for questions and answers. But until we decide to make this our own, our own faith, our own reaction, we will not have the answer to this. So, so what does this mean to you? What does it mean to know that we were sinners and enemies of God to now know that we are at peace with God? It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it is truly amazing, the stage there, from one unto the other. And what I hope that that means for us is that we have come to him in faith and in repentance and been baptized in obedience and that we then understand that that is not an end but in a beginning that we are changed. We don't come to him in perfection and say, look at what I've done. Look at how grand I am. We come to him as broken, right? And he builds us back up. We were being built into this, this spiritual house on a foundation that is Christ Jesus. And so we come to him with flaws. Do we want to keep them? Do we desire to keep those flaws? those sins, those things that we've come to him and say, please forgive us of these things? Well, that's not repentance. Repentance is coming to him and saying, I know I'm flawed. I know I've made mistakes. I know that I've had this sin. And I want to change those things, leave them behind, and be different, and ultimately be holy because you are holy. What does this mean to us? I hope it means that life has changed. Go back into, into 1 Timothy where we were looking. It says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Okay, so this is talking to, to Christians. This is what it says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the worst. I often think that we want this passage, or not want this passage to say something different, but sometimes think it says something different than what it says. It says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? The righteous? Those who are good? Those who are worthy? Those who are uh, in the church of Christ? Those who are Christians? Is that what it says? If he had come to save those who were righteous, who would he have come and saved? Only 
well, ultimately no one. But really, he would have came and said to the Pharisees, here, this is what you've been waiting for. We're going to make this grand kingdom. And you guys are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, all those ruling leaders of the time, and said, look, you guys are the, the most righteous. But that, no, no, that's not what he said. He said he came to save who? Not the, not the church, not Christians, because that's kind of a conundrum to think about. He couldn't have kind of came to save Christians if there were Christians already. Anyway, he came to save sinners. And then he makes this proclamation, of whom I am the worst. It's just the worst. And he came to save sinners. Where do we fall in there? Where, where did we fall in there? Where might we still fall in there? Christ came to save sinners. Two things here, I think, that we must recognize. One is that we did not do this on our own. That we may be Christians, and we may have this desire to do what is good, we may have this desire to be faithful, we may have this desire to be righteous and holy, because He is holy, and none of that saved us. Apart from Christ Jesus, our Lord, who died on a cross, and God who chose us. And then as a, as a response to all of that, as a, as a because he loved us, so I will love him. You know, this desire to be as he is, this coming to him in faith, yes. Being obedient, yes. Having a life that is, is dedicated to being good and holy, yes. But it is Christ. Suffering and dying on a cross. Gaining victory over sin and death. That changes our life from death to eternal life and this is such a wonder you know we talked about before you know this living in ignorance to now having mercy this is what it means that we have come to him as a sinner and we go from death to eternal life because of him and the reaction to that should be profound in how we go and teach and share and live but also in how we praise the Lord. Go to the end of this passage in verse 17, and I really like verse 17, how it's worded in the NIV. It says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Do we have a desire, as we talked about being in service of him, do we have a desire to praise our Lord for all eternity? Now, we often talk about having an opportunity to praise our Lord in eternity, right? But when does eternity start? For us. Okay, give us some thought. When, when does eternity start for us? When, when do you become a part of of the church? When do you become a part of the kingdom that Christ has established? Is it going to be a hundred years from now? Or are you uh, sitting here now with grace covering you that you could stand before your God in confidence knowing that the blood of Christ washes over you? Well, that's, I hope, for all of us. So are we praising him now for all eternity? Or are we waiting and saying, well, I'll praise him when in my actions, in my thoughts, when I get to heaven and everything is, is great and there's no more sadness, no more tears, no more pain and all that, it's going to be great and I'm really holding on to all this wonderful praise for that moment. Praise the Lord 
forever and ever. Amen. Now. Right? Right? Right now. And that's our life. You know, we talked so much about uh, being in service to him. We talked about so much about emotion today. We talked about faith. We talked about acting in ignorance of what we were to what we are. And this is life, ultimately, right? An opportunity to live for him in his service and to praise him. Forever and ever. Amen. I, I want to close by, by reading again in Timothy, but we're going to jump ahead a little bit. First Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 11. It says this. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 11 to 16. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen.